Uh, well, let's um, ask the Lord's guidance as we get into... Hello, come on in. You are here. Is it too warm in here? Are we okay? Are you warm? Do you, do you know? Yeah, just I think you just hold that down until it goes. I don't know if you have to press hold. Do you have to press hold? Okay. <laughs> Let's just hope it turns off pretty quickly. There's always a delay, so we may have to open the doors and the windows. Okay, that's our next. That's our next option. <laughs> Uh, hmm? Oh, okay. No, oh, all right. Uh, well, let's ask the Lord's guidance. Uh, Heavenly Father, I come before you and we confess our great need for you. We confess that uh, you are the sovereign majesty and we praise you for that. And I ask that you would open up our hearts as well as our minds today to understand more of who you are and of your love. I ask that you uh, break open whatever hard exterior there is surrounding uh, our hearts so that we may see who you really are. I pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Hi, come on in. Um, I have decided to extend Christ the Revolutionary to one more uh, time today. Uh, I want to talk about the revolutionary love uh, that he brought uh, to the world. I think most of us as Christians tend to approach God in an old covenant Christianity. And most of that, it seems to me, is because we don't understand the surpassing love of God. In, in the very beginning, when sin entered the scene, what we see over in Genesis 3 uh, are familiar passages, but I want to look at it for a minute because I think it sets the tone, certainly, for the Old Covenant, and I believe it still sets the tone for most of us in the New Covenant today. Um, after both Eve and Adam had taken of the tree of not the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, their eyes in verse six were or seven were opened. And they knew their shame. They knew that they were naked. Nothing had changed of their clothing apparel except their awareness of shame. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Instantly, instinctively, in their sin nature now, they knew that not only were they fallen, but God was holy. They knew there was a profound difference now, which they did not see or know because it was not present before sin. They were in oneness with God. But the minute sin hit, their whole perception of themselves and the reality that they were now in changed. And the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Instinctively, still, you and I run and hide when we have disappointed ourselves and therefore know that we have disappointed God. We have this tendency to do that. And in a sense, perhaps it is because we know God is holy. 
in another sense, I think it is because we still believe the old covenant performance mode. We still, in this new covenant, don't have a sense of grace. Grace, we miss it. And yet grace, which is, as you and I know, unmerited favor, undeserved favor from God, we still feel like we have to earn it. We still feel like in some fashion that we, we have to work our way back into his good graces, which is oxymoronic. <laughs> How does one work themselves back into that which requires no work? But that's what we do. And so <clears throat> when you and I have really blown it, most of us, I would venture to say, run and hide. We say, oh, I can't face God. can't face myself. It's the real issue. But, but we put that over on God, and so it takes us quite a while to kind of work our way back. <coughs> and yet, the very act of Christ on the cross nailed that behavior to the cross and crucified it. Because Christ took on the guilt. And Christ took on the shame so that you and I could instantly be re-fellowshipped with a holy God the moment our heart breaks, the moment our heart bends its knee in remorse and in, in, in a soul, spirit confession. doesn't even have to be verbal confession. When my heart kneels, uh, I am instantaneously back in fellowship. But I think what we see today, and in, 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 in Joe and I were talking about this earlier in the week, in, in American Christianity, is that we, we are formula-based. And there's something instinctively and intrinsically wrong with formula-based Christianity. Because it is sort of, if I do this, 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 and this, then God will do this. And that seesaw isn't balanced. If we have a formula, it's something plus something. So we have to do two parts for God's one part. And somehow that doesn't measure up to the unsurpassing love of God because God love is like a fountain that flows out. St. Augustine said that sin is love turned inward. Sin is love turned inward. So when human love turns into itself, that sin, and, mo and human love really is that, is love turned inward. So we have a hybrid God that we worship that's a mix of love turned inward and love turned outward. And so formula-based Christianity is that hybrid mix for the most part. Um, if I do this, 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 and this, then God is obligated to do this. I, I, you know, I think if we put our mind to it, and this might be an interesting exercise for you all this week, is to start thinking of all the formula, the formulas that we have for getting God to do what we want him to do or getting God to do what we need him to do. So I want us to look today at this revolutionary love that Christ brought to earth and to man that's not formula-based at all. If I get my act together, then God will bless me which implies he doesn't bless me when I am in my natural human fallen state. He has to wait. And yet Christ said that he makes the rain to fall 
on the just and the unjust, and he has his sun to shine on the just and the unjust. Uh, so I want us to look at a few pieces of scripture, and uh, starting in Matthew. And some of it we, we've hit before, but I want to hit it in terms of um, his love. Go to Matthew 11. And um, I, let's just read these and see what the pattern is. Yes, it is. And, and that's one of the, the points. With hiding man, God goes after him. God goes after us. God approached and looked for Adam and Eve in the garden because they were hiding. And when God asked, where are you, it wasn't so God could find out. It was so Adam could find out. So Adam could look, where am I? What has happened? Who am I? But God pursues us. And he doesn't wait off in the, in the hinterlands for us to get like God, which is perfect, before he will come to us. He comes to us because we are sinners. He pursues us because we are lost. He's not over here saying, when you get your act together and come to me, then we can, we can work on this. He is after us precisely because we are sinners and precisely because we are lost. That's why he looks for us hiding. We hide from him. And we hide from ourselves. And we hide from one another. And yet in 2 Corinthians, Paul says he has given to us a ministry of reconciliation. Of bringing man back to God. And reconciling the differences so that the reason God hates sin is because of what sin does to us. It separates us from him who is our life. And from an intimate relationship with him because of his holiness. So he is, he is after the sin barrier so that we can become, as Christ prayed in John 17, one. One with him. And we can't get there by performance. We get there through the substitutionary sacrificial death of Christ. He paid that. He is the mediator between us and sin. He is the bridge, not our works, lest anyone should boast, but by faith and grace. So it is Christ who is the sacrificial lamb, who allows for us to instantly, upon the realization of what we are or what we have done, return to him. This was revolutionary in every way at that time, and it remains so today. And as a people of faith, we are also asked to become a people of love. But we can't love that way. Our frame of reference, our human love, is not this fountain of love that ever flows outward. That's God love. Our love is conditional. His is not. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Before we got our act together, he died for us. Because you and I can't get our acts together. Not, not perfectly. So his love is his artesian well. 
that nothing will stop. Even the rich young ruler in Mark 10, Christ knew he was getting ready to turn away. He knew he lacked uh, that commitment to follow him. And the scripture says in Mark, it doesn't elsewhere, but in Mark it says, using the Greek meaning of the Greek word look or behold, he looked into the rich young ruler and loved him. Loved him in his lack. Loved him in his heart's restraint. Loved him when he was going to turn and walk away. Loved him. If we really do catch this, dear hearts, it will, it will set us free. We don't have to earn anything from God. We don't have to earn it. So let's just look at what the message is of the scripture. It's, it's certainly not going to be complete because it's all over the place with Christ. But in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's been talking about and continues to talk about the burden of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees the Pharisees who put burdens upon people, grievous burdens, he calls them. And he's saying, that's not my burden. My burden is light. Because he has come to give to those souls who are weary and heavy laden his rest. Turn back over to... Matthew 6, which is where we were a couple of weeks ago. But this is an outpouring of his love when he speaks of forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he jumps on down to verse 14. For if you don't forgive uh, men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. If you do not forgive men... Um, if you do forgive them, uh, then God will forgive. And we've talked about that, so I'm not going to go back into that. But the idea here is that he requires us to forgive. Where's that coming from? That is coming from love. It is coming from not requiring sacrifice, but mercy. The very fact that Jesus taught the way he taught is proof of his goodness. Is proof of the goodness of God. He requires us in Matthew 18, which we've looked at too, where Peter is saying, well, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Uh, the complete number, and Christ said 70 times seven. There, there's no limit to when you forgive your brother. If he, if he comes and asks, you forgive him. Now, does that mean that if he doesn't come and ask, we just withhold it and are angry and kind of hold it over him or her? No. Uh, Mark 11, look what it says. In verse 25, it says, When you stand to pray, forgive if you have anything against anyone. It doesn't say if they come and ask your forgiveness, then forgive. So that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you. That doesn't mean that God is up there withholding until we get it right. But if I am in consistent defiance of what he asked, then he can't deal with me on that issue. 
until I'm ready for him to deal with me on that issue. And if I have an unforgiving heart, he, that's ongoing defiance. And he can't get at that because I'm not letting him get at that. That's not formula. It's just, it's the door, is the door to my spirit or to my soul open or closed? And God stands at the door and knocks, but he will not use a cross as a battering ram to break in and enter. So what he's saying here is, whatever I harbor in me blocks, it's, it closes the door, and God knocks on that door gently, persistently, for me to open so he can come in. And how do I open that door of bitterness or resentment? It's a partnership here. It's not a formula, but it's a partnership. I open it by forgiving, by asking the Lord to help me do in my own soul what I can't seem to find the wherewithal to do. And, and his, his, his love is right there at the door waiting to come in. We have to open, as we say in other terms, the floodgates to let the water of the Holy Spirit come into us. But he is after making us into a people, not just of faith, but of profound love. And one of the, the, the things that's lacking, I think, in American Christianity today is love. We, we have a lot of people of faith at some level. And we have a lot of people of righteousness, of seeing what is righteous and isn't, and, and calling a spade a spade standing up against sin issues. But in that, we have missed how to love the sinner and condemn the sin, and I think it's because we are not a people of love. We are a people of righteous indignation, and we are a people of faith, but we have, we have missed opening up the floodgates of love. And the greatest of all is love. And that's because if we do things in love, then people will see the true God. If we confront sin in true love, people have an opportunity to see who God really is. Uh, so you have then uh, Christ telling us that if we would have the free fellowshipping with him unhindered. We have to get our hindrances away. But we do that by letting his love flow through us. And the rest is sort of taken care of. So let's look at a few more places. Look at uh, uh, Matthew 9. Uh, starting with verse 10 and go through verse 13. It came to pass as Jesus sat in the house for dinner, behold, many publicans and sinners came. These were the outcast people. These were the less than people. These were the ones who just engaged in a lifestyle of randomness and wantonness, if you want, of, of people who weren't really oriented toward God in their behaviors. Sinners. Lifestyle sinners. And so they came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto the disciples, because, you know, the Jewish law forbade that. It, it forbade... Um, association with sinners. Of course, we know in the Old Covenant why, because Israel couldn't ever be a light. It would always let the, their association with the, the, the pagan world, the unbelieving world, uh, snuff out their light and, and transform them over into their image. So that law was in place, and the Pharisees lived by that law, 
that righteousness. And they said unto his disciples, why is, your, why is your master eating with these people? And Jesus, when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that are whole don't need a physician, but they that are sick. Go and learn what that means. Will you? I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, learn, you know, get what that means. Go figure that one out. Because it is key to everything. I have not come for those people who are doing everything right and living the correct formula. Because they don't understand that they are lost. They don't understand that they are sinners too. At least these people know they don't have their acts together. And the only way any of us will really get our acts together is once we die. That's why I'm tempted to have Tiffany put on my tombstone. She finally has her act together. <laughs> Maybe. Well, only by God's grace with me in heaven, okay? <laughs> Certainly not this side of the tombstone, okay? Um. <laughs> so... Uh, let's go on to um, Matthew 21, uh, verse 31. And as you're going to Matthew 21, uh, verse 31, the mercy, mercy and not sacrifice. Mercy is tenderness. Mercy is... God looking up on our need and having compassion. There are many times in uh, the scripture that you see Jesus stopping for the two blind men who were asking to be healed. And it says he was moved with compassion. That word, moved with compassion, the compassion word, means a, a deep groaning within him of compassion. A deep groaning, yearning love. And every time you see that, he, he heals whomever it is. Whenever that deep groaning compassion, that longing, that love longing for them, wells up, he heals. That's his mercy. Grace is unmerited favor, and grace and mercy are Siamese twins. They go together always. Grace and mercy. Grace is unmerited favor that he, he bestows upon us. And mercy is a specific tenderness toward our need. So when we say, Lord, have mercy on me, it is coming out of this love. And it is innate to his relationship with us that he has mercy. He asks now for mercy, not formula sacrifice. You see, our formulaic Christianity is a system of sacrifices. It's a system of you and me doing what the, they did in the Old Covenant, just in a different version, and wearing different clothing. If they sacrificed the unblemished lamb, then they could be restored back. If we do this, 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 and this, then God will do that. Indicating that God's love doesn't just flow like an artesian well. It has to, the tap has to be turned on. indicating that something can separate us from the love of God. But in Romans 8, we're told nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. So while we were yet sinners, he died for us. While we were turning away from him, he loved us. His, his whole life is saying, take off the law. Take off the law. And that's why where we're headed in here is a study of Galatians, the great treatise on 
Christian freedom and liberty and on the difference between the law and grace. And maybe we fear that we won't live up to the standards that we have set for ourselves or the standards that we think we should live up to if we don't have the law prodding us like a shocking stick to the cattle. Maybe we fear that we will just engage in license rather than receiving grace. And if that's the case, if it takes some external armor, a, a, a code, an external code to get us to pursue God, an external code to get us to live righteously, then there's something wrong with my heart. Okay? My heart is as yet untouched by grace and mercy. I haven't received it. It's there for me to receive. But I haven't taken his yoke upon me and learned of him. I'm still living in the old covenant. If my heart is right toward him, an external code will not prod me to perform. It will be this interior quest for him that will prod me to align my life with his ways. It is backwards. And the Christian community in the first century that, that fired the world did it in this exuberant love. And it was just like a fountain that poured out and people were drawn to it to drink. then why do I feel the way I feel? Now, if, if a person's heart is burning for that, and that's, that's the joy of their heart, but that's, a reflection of that's exactly, and of what God is... What do you all think about what he's just said?
got to tell people that if the motivation for your burning is just because you have a love going out, then even though that may be in a sense a burden, it is not a, it's a light burden. Yeah, it's, it's, a different, it's a different kind. It's, it's fueled. It could be like you discovered, like when you first got The motivation. Like when yeah. I first got saved. It was so new and so fresh and so cool that I wanted to share with you. But you know, I had no idea. And that kind of attitude is innocent. Yes. So that's the language of holiness, is what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so the disciplines can be a part of the formula. Now, you know, when a person first becomes a Christian, I, I believe that there is sort of a, a legitimate Old Covenant zone where you, you need to learn what you're supposed to take off and leave behind. But the problem is, in our Christian community today, is that that's where most of us stay. And we don't, we don't go down to this heart relationship where the love of God flows out through us. And, and we serve, we minister with the love, with our lives, because the love of God is the artesian well that has come into us wanting to gush forward and forth. So we don't, you know, initially I think, I think Christians are needing some sort of handle but we can't stay in that handle or we miss the life of the spirit and we miss the journey of the heart. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the disciplines that Joe is talking about are for but a season, the externalized disciplines. And then as my heart seeks him and aligns with him more and more, this is something I want. I want to offer to him. I want to bring under the control of his spirit so that his spirit lives his life out in me, not me. That's the transformed life. And I, I think what, Joe, you're, you're, you're referring to is that those disciplines do not transform us. They manage our sin. And, you know, there's a place for that early on, but not for very long, because we have to learn the ways of the Spirit and let transformation happen. If we were people of transformation, if you and I were being, as, as a, a vast community of believers across this nation, being in the ministry of transformation, being transformed, each one of us, then, oh, evangelism would happen because people would be drawn to this quadrant of Christianity. And, and some would be repelled by it because they, they reject holiness and they reject righteousness. But those who are hungry 
and needy and thirsting would recognize the cistern, the pool of water. And they would come to where it lies. Exactly, exactly. The disciplines, as Joe said, do not transform. They manage our sin. There, there it is. There it is. And the other thing, when we've got um, this um, code, the, the, the disciplines that we live by, then what that automatically in the human condition sets up is a whole society of fruit inspectors. <laughs> you know, okay, I'm doing this and she's not. She needs to get her act together. If I can do it, he can do it. If I can do it, I become then the judge and James. If I'm judging, I'm not doing the word. I'm judging the word. So I have immediately removed myself from righteousness by the very act of judging somebody else. But I haven't figured that out yet and never will because Christ didn't come for the righteous because the righteous don't understand that they are not righteous. And so he's found a community of people who bear one another's burdens. And that is the law of Christ. Galatians 6. Um, Turn over there for a moment. Uh, Verses 1 and 2, particularly 2 of chapter 6 of Galatians, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. How different. (laughs) See, meekness comes out of humility. Meekness is a tenderness. Non-judgmental. Considering yourself, lest you be tempted, which is what, Dave, you were just talking about. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The community of the saved, the saved by grace. It's a community that loves supremely, that dispenses grace and mercy, that is such a safe community that people can confess their sins, their faults, one to another, and not be judged. If there is judgment in a body of Christ, then there is not safety. And if there's not safety in the body of Christ, then there cannot be transparency and there cannot be authenticity. It is only through the love of Christ flowing through us and not us managing our sin, but letting the Holy Spirit consume us and overwhelm us and overtake us so that his fountain, his artesian well of love that that pulses its way into us, pulses its way out of us. 
And when we are that, we are agents of love. And that's the big item. Then people will come and drink of his water. It's not polluted water. It's not water in the desert that occasionally the settlers would find and they would go to it and they realized it was poisoned water. And they couldn't drink it. We need to make sure you and I don't offer polluted water to the thirsty. Poisoned watering holes of judgment and sacrifice. He doesn't ask for that anymore. He offers mercy and he asks us to offer mercy. And when we do that, we are transforming people. We are in the process of transformation and we are agents of transformation in the lives of others. That's our call. This love that he spoke of over and over again, that he lived over and over again, was so revolutionary, people couldn't quite grab hold of it then, nor can we today. But we are asked to let it grab hold of us. And if it grabs hold of us, we don't have to worry about us grabbing hold of it. We are in the river. We are in the torrent. Jean Guyon wrote a book called Spiritual Torrents. We are in that spiritual torrent. And it, it shoots its way out to the world if you and I are just emptied conduits. And we realize that the message of love is that we bear one another's burdens, that we love them, and that we are a safe place for people to unload their burdens, to confess who they are. AA does that. Why did AA have to be the, the breakout group? The body of Christ should always be that breakout group. AA is a safe place for people to get up and say, I am an alcoholic. I am a sinaholic. I am in need of help. I am in need of God. And I'm in need of God's people. So, You say, okay, well, what about the people that are way out there in rebellion, the publicans and the sinners? <laughs> you and I have our own rebellious places, you know. We just don't recognize them. Little points of defiance. Little points of anger here and there. But I'm not a publican or a sinner. Yeah, we just put a good-looking lipstick on the pig, you know. <laughs> but when you look in Luke 15 at the prodigal son, God is the father. And you notice that the father saw the son returning when he was a long way off, implication being that the father was looking with a yearning for that son that would not come home. when he saw him coming home, he was beside himself. He killed the fatted calf. He put the ring of belonging on his finger and the cloak of the father on his son, and he celebrated. That is not the picture of a God who requires sacrifice. It's a picture of a God who gives mercy. And whenever you and I are out there, he is coming after us. He is seeking out the hiding places in you and me. And he's seeking out those souls who are completely hiding from him. And when he sees us turn homeward, there's this great inner groaning of compassion that wells up in him. That says, servants, get the calf, get the calf, he's coming. She's coming. Let's celebrate because there's more joy in heaven over one soul that comes home than over the 99 that are in the, the fold. That is our loving, compassionate God who requires not sacrifice, 
but mercy. And he gives it to you and me. And he asks you and me to just simply dispense what he has given to us. Give out the tender mercies. Give out the grace. Let my love flow through you. That's his formula. All we have to do is step in the river. Let's pray. I ask that you just take a moment to let the Spirit stir whatever message he wants to stir in you. Message of surrender and yielding. Forgiveness. Mercy. Message of grace or love. Father God, thank you for Jesus and for his sacrifice so that sacrifice is no longer needed. It's already been done. Thank you for calling our hearts back home to you. Forgive us when we get in the way of the flow of your river. I ask that you would push on through those rocks and boulders in us so that your love may gush forth. Pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Gay, is this...